Hey, good morning. Welcome to River Ridge Church. My name is Matt, and uh, if we haven't met, maybe we'll get to meet sometime soon. Glad that you're here and a part of River Ridge this morning. So we are continuing uh, and really wrapping up our series titled More Than Happy. And the theme of this More Than Happy series through the book of Philippians is about finding joy. That's being more than happy, it's finding joy. And so if you're here for the first time this morning, welcome. If for whatever reason you have missed the last three sermons uh, as part of this uh, study through Philippians, you can pick them up online, you can watch or listen online. Uh, But if you've missed the first three, uh, I think that you'll enjoy being here for this last one, uh, and it really kind of stands alone as we move forward. But what we've done is we've, each week we've talked about the theme, which is rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That's from Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. And that's been our theme about how do we rejoice in every part of life? How do we have joy in every part of life? And so over the course of this series, each week we've looked at a different key to joy. And so the first week of chapter 1, we said that joy is found when we look inside instead of outside, that we, instead of looking at the circumstances around us to find joy, we look inside at Christ in us. For me to live is Christ. And then the second week, we talked about putting others first and how when we live in such a way that we make other people more important than ourselves, that's where joy is found. And then last week, we talked about being eternally minded. That if we have a mindset, instead of just thinking about what goes on in these 70 or 80 years that I live, but how can I make my life count and impact eternity, that's where joy is found. And so before we look ahead, uh, before we look at chapter 4 this morning, I want us to kind of talk about wrapping up this series together and then what's next, what's on the horizon after we're finished with this series. So as I have talked with people about this series, there's been a ton of positive feedback, and I appreciate that when things go well and you like what a series is about. But really, with this series in particular, probably the thing that people have talked about the most was doing the devotional guide. And I know many of you uh, did this. We handed out something like 350 or 400 of these little yellow devotional guides. Some of you downloaded them from the website. But basically, um, it was the opportunity that we had to look at the book of Philippians on our own and study through it on our own. And there was so much positive feedback about that. And one of the things that I want to encourage you to do is to continue to be in God's Word going forward. Just because we're at the end of Philippians doesn't mean that reading God's Word on a daily basis needs to end. And one of the things that we did, and you may have noticed this, uh, is that every day the questions were the same. So the first question was, what phrase stands out to you the most and why? The second day was, what did you learn about Jesus, God, or living the Christian life? And then what next step can you take to apply what you read? And so you would have read the first day, Philippians 1, chapter, or verse 1 to 11. And then the next day, you would have opened it up, and you would have read Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. And then you would have seen the same three questions, and you would have gone, do they not have any better questions than that? Are they, do they get lazy? Do they get bored? You know, what, what's, what's the deal going on here? Um, and so here's the thing is, we did that on purpose, is that we put the same questions every day because we wanted this journey through the book of Philippians to be a training ground, to be an opportunity for you to learn the skills of getting into God's Word on your own. And so what you can do is you can take those same three questions, you can jot them down in your phone or on your notes, and you can go through any passage of the Bible, apply those three, 
and get something great out of it to learn. Uh, if you want, you can go to the website, riverridge.org, and there's a section that says Next Steps, and then a drop-down menu, which is uh, Read the Bible. You can actually find a PDF if you want to download a template that you can use to follow along. But the idea is that we wanted to set you up to be able to continue to read. If you're looking for something to read after you finish Philippians, a couple of options would be the next book is Colossians, which is similar to Philippians in the sense it's a short book uh, written to a church, the church at Colossae, and so you can read that and learn some things about uh, how to live the Christian life. 1 Corinthians is another book that I might recommend, uh, where again, it's somebody, it's Paul who's writing to a church who has some issues that they're dealing with, and so he's talking about how do you live life in relationship to one another, in relationship to God. Or if you want to jump into one of the Gospels, the Gospel of John is a great place to start. And again, you take these same three questions and you read a passage. It could be, you know, six verses, eight verses. You can just follow the natural headings of the Bible and then that, that are in your um, Bible and just answer those questions as a way to continue on in your journey with God on a daily basis. And then at the, uh, so this is, concludes our Philippian series today. Next week we begin a new series and it's titled Killing It right? Uh, it's got some killer graphics right there. So killing it is going to be, we're going to look at killing things in our lives. And so the first thing we're going to look at is our relationship with God, not killing our relationship with God, um, but how can I having a rules-based relationship with God instead of a relationship with God can kill that joy that we have. Uh, then we're going to talk about pride. How do we kill pride in our lives? And then we're going to talk about approval. How do we kill looking for other people's approval and instead gain God's approval. And then the last part of it is Easter. Uh, it's killing it in terms of death, that Jesus killed it in terms of uh, triumphing over death when he rose from the grave. So that's where we're headed uh, after this series is done. Hope you'll come back and be a part of the Killing It series, as well as continue this great um, discipline that many of us have engaged in, in terms of reading God's Word on a regular basis. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning, thank you that we get this opportunity to look into your word, to study it, to learn from it, to understand. Uh, pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts today as we examine our lives, as we examine the areas of our lives. Help us, Father, to find joy in you in all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been talking about joy for three weeks. And if you've been engaged with it or if you've ever kind of thought about joy, one of the problems that we have, one of the difficulties that we have is that joy can sometimes feel elusive. That we come to church on a Sunday morning and we're filled with joy and then it gets to Tuesday and something happens or it gets to Wednesday or it gets to you know, Sunday at 2 o'clock and something happens and something steals our joy. And then we find that while we want to have joy all the time, we want to do what Paul says and rejoice in the Lord again, rejoice in the Lord always, but we find it hard because things steal our joy from us. We find joy in this area, but we don't find joy over there. And as I talk to people, it really varies from person to person about where you find joy and then what it is that robs your joy. For some people... When it comes to marriage, there's a ton of joy involved in your marriage, but when it comes to your job, you just lack joy there. Or for some people, when it comes to your kids or your grandkids, there's so much joy related to those little ones. But then you look over here at your finances and it robs you of your joy. Or maybe you find joy in some of your friendships and some of your relationships, but you find that other 
friendships or other relationships really rob you or steal the joy from you. Or maybe when it comes to things involving church in terms of ridge groups and serving and being around church folks, that really gives you joy. But maybe being around your family or certain family members steals your joy. And so we have this kind of dilemma of, I want to rejoice in the Lord always, but yet here I rejoice in the Lord and there I don't rejoice in the Lord. And why is that? Why is it that sometimes we have joy in some seasons of life and some days of the week we have joy and others we don't? Or why is it in some areas we have joy and we experience joy and in other areas we don't? We're going to answer that question by looking in Philippians chapter 4 today as Paul gives us this phrase that we're going to see and it will allow us to have joy in every area of our lives. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 you want to turn there, it's also if you want to open up your River Ridge app, you can push the little Bible icon there and find it there. If you don't have a Bible, it'll also be on the screen behind me. It says this, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So he says, stand firm in the Lord. Here's the key to joy that we're going to talk about this morning. Stand firm in the Lord in every area of life. Stand firm in the Lord in every area of life. And you see, what we're going to find today is that when we find, when we stand firm in the Lord, we're going to find there's a a comparison there or a correlation between finding, standing firm in the Lord and finding joy. But as we examine the different areas of our lives, when we don't stand firm in the Lord, there is a lack of joy. And we're going to see this theme throughout this um, chapter of Philippians. And so uh, this starts out and he says, therefore, my dear brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. And there's a little phrase after that. He says, my beloved. And I've read the book of Philippians probably 20 times, 30 times, 50 times, I don't know how many times in my life. And I've studied it in lots of different ways uh, and even read it reading up to this series. And this phrase, I've always missed it until I looked at it today. It's the little phrase, my beloved. And I point that out to you for this reason, is that Paul had an incredible affection for the Philippians. He had a love for them. And so as he's writing to them, He could have left this out. My beloved doesn't add anything particularly to the instructions. But what it does is it shows that he had a heart for them. He wanted them to stand firm in the Lord so that they could experience the joy that he experienced in his relationship with God. And then what follows is we're going to look at five different areas that Paul talks about. And we're going to look and we're going to say, this is what Paul wrote to the Philippians in the first century, and how does that apply to us? Because these same areas that he talks to them about exist in our own lives. And how does it apply to them, and how does it apply to us in terms of finding joy? So we're going to start with Philippians chapter 2, excuse me, Philippians 4, verses 2 and 3. It says, I entreat Judea, and I entreat Anybody want to take a guess at how you pronounce that? It's got like six consonants in a row, all right? But I'm going to pronounce it syncticky, right? But I pronounced it different in the first service, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, it matters to syncticky or whatever her name is, right? Um, 
I entreat Yudia and I entreat this other woman to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So the situation is, historically here, is that there's these two women, and they're not getting along. And so Paul writes, he takes time in this letter, he says, I want you to get along, I want you to agree in the Lord, and he actually calls on some people in the church to say, help these two ladies to get along. Here's, when it comes to joy, as you think about what are the things that steal your joy? One of the things that steals our joy that's probably top on almost all of our lists is relationships where there's disharmony, relationships where there's conflict. That when we have relationships that aren't going well, where we're butting heads, that just steals the joy from us. That keeps us up at night because it's so frustrating because we want to get along but yet we can't, especially those relationships that are more central, that are more key, more intimate relationships. When those don't get along, it steals the joy from us. And so the first area that we look at is this, stand firm in the Lord in relationships. Stand firm in the Lord in relationships. Now, if you have I want you to actually, let me take you through a little exercise. I want you to think of somebody in your life that you are in conflict with to some extent. Might be somebody who's close to you that is a big conflict or a small conflict, maybe somebody a little bit distant from you. But I want you to think of somebody that you're in conflict with. And because of that, in some way, it is robbing you of joy. It's stealing you of joy. Okay, everybody have that person in mind, right? Now, as you think about that person and why joy is being robbed or stolen from you and how to fix that, everybody here, most of us here, are thinking, if that person would do this differently, then we wouldn't have the conflict, right? That's the way that our natural brains go, right? The problem is there, and if they would fix their thing and stop doing this or doing that, then we would be fine. But when we talk about stand firm in the Lord, what that means is instead of looking at somebody else and their problems and their issues, and if they would do this, then we could get along, to stand firm in the Lord means we look at ourselves first. We ask, how can I change? What can I do? How can I follow what God wants me to do? We can ask ourselves, as we talk about it, God says, be a peacemaker, are you trying to be a peacemaker with that person? Are you serving that person? Are you praying for that person? Are you putting the other person's interests ahead of your own? That's what it means to stand firm in the Lord in terms of relationships. We look at ourselves first and then second at the other person. Let's keep going. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. We find the next area to look at. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which, trans which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there's that phrase 
That's the theme. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. We want to rejoice in every aspect, every phase of life. As we talk about things that steal our joy, we talked about relationships, but here's something else that steals our joy a lot of times. It's it's anxiety. We have anxiety. And what is it that we have anxiety about? We have anxiety about the future, don't we? Right? We don't have anxiety about the past. When we look in the past and we have regrets about the past, we may look in the past and say, I wish I'd done this differently. I wish I'd changed that. I wish I hadn't made this decision. But it's not anxiety about the past. The anxiety that we feel is about the future, right? And so we ask this question, what does it look like to stand firm in terms of the future? How do I stand firm in the Lord according to, based on what's coming in the future? So we look at this, and there's some great keys in here to help us with this. The end of verse 5, Paul writes these just real simple words. He says, the Lord is at hand. Part of standing firm in the Lord is knowing that the Lord is at hand. The Lord is present with us. Because if the Lord is not present, if he has no control and no, no, nothing in terms of our future, then there's a lot of reason to have anxiety. But when the Lord is at hand, we can look at the future and say, okay, God has this. God has my future. In verse 8, he says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. And I love the fact that Paul pairs these two things together. He says, instead of having anxiety, pray about it. Because the thing is, it's hard to not do something, right? It makes a lot more sense if we're doing something to replace something that we don't want to replace it with something that we do want. You know, if I were to say to you, don't think, whatever you do, do not think about purple monkeys. Just don't think about purple monkeys. What's the first thing you do? You think about purple monkeys. Huh, are they climbing trees? Are they hung to each other? You know, and so, but what this says, and I love it, says, do not be anxious, but replace it with prayer and petition. Replace it with prayer and supplication. Replace it with praying and asking God to change the future. And so that's a great trigger for us. Anytime that you feel anxiety, let that be a reminder, instead of having that anxiety, to pray. And then it says this, verse 7, it says, The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And it says, The peace of God will come to you. And we need to understand what this doesn't say. It doesn't say, when you have anxiety about the future, pray about it, and God will give you the exact future you want. It's not what it says. It says, When you have anxiety, pray about it, and then God will give you peace. And that peace may come in one of two ways. It may come because God changes the circumstances. You're looking at this, you're saying, I've got so much anxiety about my job and the future of my job, and I'm praying about it. And maybe God changes it and fixes the job, or maybe God changes us instead of changing the circumstances. And he takes the anxiety away from us. And I think that's why Paul has here, which surpasses all understanding. It's like, we don't even fathom. God does this work in my heart that he changes me. And where the situation isn't different, but I don't have anxiety because God has changed me. Let's look at the next area. 
verse 8. It says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Here's the next area to consider. Consider your thought life. Consider your thought life. So I want you to think about what is it that comes into your brain? Because there are a whole lot of things that come into our brains in terms of the source of them, right? Think about all the things that, that fill our brain. There's TV, there's movies, there's Netflix, there's people, there's TED Talks, there's sermons, there's books, there's Facebook, there's Instagram, there's road signs, there's advertisement. I mean, there's so many things that come into our brain, right? We don't even recognize half the things that come into our brain. But here's the question. As you think about all that comes into your brain, what filter do you have for what you allow your brain to see, what you allow your eyes to see, what you allow your ears to hear? What filter do you have? Do you have a filter? Because what Paul is laying out here, he's saying, this is the filter for what we need to or what we should allow into our brains. Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? He says, think about these things. Consider these things as you consider what comes into your brain. What filter do you have? A couple of summers ago, Stacy and I had a discussion with uh, one of our teenage boys at the time and one of his friends and his friend's mom. And we were talking about, they wanted to go to a concert, right? And they wanted to go to this concert that none of us adults thought was a good idea because it was just kind of a nasty band and, you know, all kinds of filthy language and visuals and all that kind of thing. So we, we said no, but we sat down and we had this discussion about whether they could go to this um, concert or not. And, they're, and basically, they're like, well, it's no big deal. We listen to their music on our playlists and our phones and stuff like that. So what's the, what's the big deal? And so we had this discussion and, and so forth. And as we're having this discussion, it was quite lively. And uh, so my wife asked this great question. She says, well, do you have Christian music on your playlist? You know, like, you know, and they're like, yeah, you know, they had Lecrae and passion CD and just stuff like that. They had that on their playlist. And so she says, the question is this. She says, well, does the Christian music affect your heart? And they're like, and it was really a great question because they were sort of, they didn't have a good answer to it because if they said, yes, the Christian music affects what's on our hearts, well, then the same is true that the crap that they listen to, and sorry for that language if you've never heard that word before, <laughs> at least in church, like, right, that the junk, sorry, the junk that they listen to was crap. There we go. I can't get away from (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? Like, but there was no filter, right? And so, but yet if if that, if they're like, well, that doesn't affect us, but the Christian music affects us, you see, it's like everything that goes into our brains affects us. And, And so my challenge for you is, what's your filter? 
And this, is, and this is not just music, this is movies and words and people and the whole deal. And this is not just a question for teenagers, high school kids, middle school kids. It's a question for all of us. What's the filter that you have in terms of what you will allow into your brain, into your sight, into your ears? Because he finishes and he says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. In other words, what comes into our brains affects the joy that we have. If we're constantly bombarded by stuff that is not lovely and pure and joy and and all these words here, commendable, excellent, then it's going to change what goes on in our brains and what goes on in our hearts. Going to keep going. We're going to skip down to Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 says this, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. So there's that word, rejoiced again. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity now that I'm speaking of being in need. Now he says this, he writes, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This phrase that he uses, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is a verse that gets ripped out of context all the time. That you see it in all kinds of sports things about trying to say, hey, I can do all things through Christ. I can win this. I can do this because Christ gives me the strength. And he's, he's half right and he's half wrong when, when people do that. But I kind of put together a little um, slide for you there. There we go. You know, so you've got like on the, on the basketball shoe and the little sports poster and Tim Tebow and then on some guy's sexy abs there. I can do all things through. I can have big abs through Christ who strengthens me. Sorry if that's causing you ladies to stumble. <laughs> and you men to have, you know, ab envy. But here's the thing is, as we look at this and we think, okay, that, we take that verse and we say, I can do anything. And most of the time it's achieving these great goals. I can, whatever goal I want, I can achieve it if I just apply Christ to it. But if we look at this, it says, talks about the ups and the downs. He says, I know what it's like to be brought low I know what it's like to be in bad times and in good times. I've learned to be content in all these situations, right? He's talking here about the difficulties of life, much more so than the great times of life. And so I put together another slide that this should be the slide that we use, right? That the Browns lost 26 games in a row. They're the ones who need to have painted and tattooed, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, because it's a whole lot harder to go through the difficulties of life than it is to go through the good stuff of life. That's when we need Christ to strengthen us. And so the area of our life that we examine is this, is our trials. Do you stand firm in the Lord in the trials of life? Because we can talk about joy, but there's no joy in a bitter divorce. There's no joy in your kids running crazy and making terrible decisions. There's no joy in fighting cancer. There's no joy in bearing your child. There's no joy 
in that. But yet Paul talks about rejoice in the Lord always. Where does that come from? James wrote this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you, fa- when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it joy. How is it that we can count it as joy when the situation, the circumstance is so disparate? It's so difficult and desperate. Continues, says, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Say, so, you no, know, we're not trying to find joy and yay, I have cancer, yay, I'm this, yay, and that. It's not that type of joy. What it's talking about is that we find joy that we know Christ. We find joy in the fact that we are with God and that God is with us in these circumstances. We find joy in that God is building our character through these difficult trials that we wouldn't want to go to and we wouldn't want our worst enemy to go through. But yet we find joy not in the trial itself, so to speak, but because that trial brings us closer to God, because God sees us through that. If you're going through a hard time right now, if you're going through a trial, how are you facing that? Is there joy in that? Are you finding joy because of that relationship with God? Again, it's about standing firm in the Lord. When we go through trials the way that God wants us to go through them, then we can have joy in the midst of those trials. We're going to look at one more area. Uh, This is Philippians. I'm going to skip down to verse 14. And it says this. It says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And then skipping down to verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Here's what's going on, is that Paul, when he uh, travels around, a lot of places that he goes, he works for a living. He makes tents. So he makes tents and sells them, and that allows him to support his traveling ministry. But at some point along the line, the Philippian church came alongside of Paul, and they said, we want to support you. We want to support you financially. And so in this portion of Philippians, Paul is talking about that. He says, I have received full payment and more. It says, you gave this gift to me. And the area that I want us to examine just for a moment is the area of generosity. The area of generosity. Do you stand firm in the Lord when it comes to generosity? This week, as I was looking this up and researching a little bit, um, I came across a, an interesting series of studies. And what they did is they gave people money. They gave them either $20 or $100 Uh, and a couple of different studies that were very similarly done. And then they hooked them up to these MRI brain-type machines that could measure whether somebody was happy or sad or content or whatever it was that kind of measure their emotions. And so when they gave somebody an amount of money and they said, you're going to take this money and you're going to go spend it on somebody else, go buy something, go do something for somebody else, that the joy levels of the MRI testing in the brain went up. But when they said, here's $20, you can go spend it on yourself for $100, spend it on whatever you want to buy, they stayed the same. So in other words, there's a mental thing of brainwaves that when we are generous, when we give to others, it brings us happiness or this emotion of joy in our lives. And I share that with you because 
again, we want to stand firm in the Lord. And part of what God says is to be generous. And how are you doing in that? Maybe your finances, there's no joy in your finances because you're not generous. You know, and we're talking about generous in terms of giving a percentage of your income to God's work. We're talking about just being spontaneously generous in helping other people out. But how are you in the area of generosity? So we've looked at these five areas, relationships, the future, thought life, trials, and generosity. By no means is this an exhaustive list of the different areas of our lives. <clears throat> but what you can do is you can look at the different areas of your life and you can say, am I experiencing joy in this area? You can look at your marriage. You can look at raising your children. You can look at your spending. You look at serving, friendships, relationship with your parents, your work ethic, your prayer life, sharing the gospel, words that you speak. Do you experience joy in all these different areas of life? And if you don't, then say, am I not standing firm? How can I change my life to align with how God says to live in regard to this particular area? I want to close with a bit of an unusual illustration this morning. And it's from a movie that I saw this week, uh, The Black Panther. How many people have seen The Black Panther? Okay, good number of you. So I typically am not like a big superhero movie kind of guy, um, but it's showing you it's $5.50 at Park Place, so it's cheap, uh, and apparently we're not having school like forever. So there wasn't school the next day. And so we, <clears throat> I took my boys to see Black Panther. And, um, and for, like I said, for me, I'm not real big in superhero movies, but this is my favorite one by far because it was set in Africa, and I love Africa. So, but anyway, we're watching this movie, and I'm not going to give any plot things away, so you don't have to stick your finger in your ear if you're not going to, you know, if you're planning on seeing the movie. There's no um, spoilers in this. Uh, but in the movie, there is this uh, special mineral called vibranium, right? And so vibranium only exists in this country, this fictitious African country called Wakanda. And so this vibranium is there, and what they do is that this Wakanda people, is they weave vibranium into everything that they have. So they put it into their clothes, they put it into their spears, and has this kind of superpower type of thing that makes everything stronger. So it's, you know, it's part of the, the Black Panther suit is made out of vibranium, the spears are better, and, and all this stuff. There's even a scene where somebody has this wound, and they stick vibranium in the wound, and it heals them, right? So... Here's the point, right? It's like, okay, superhero movie. But here's what, I watched this movie. I'm like, this is exactly what Paul is talking about in Philippians. That wherever vibranium was woven into anything in this movie, that thing went better. It was stronger. It was better. It was faster. It was more useful. Whatever it was. Wherever there was vibranium, it was better. And what I want to see is that whenever Wherever we stand firm in the Lord, that's where we find joy. And so if you want joy in your life, and again, this is joy for life. That's the message title this morning. It's joy for life. This is not just for now, but at any point in your life, if you don't experience joy in some area of your life, then ask yourself, am I standing firm? Am I honoring God? Am I obeying God? Am I doing what God wants me to? to do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much 
for this morning. Thank you that we get to look into your word and learn from it and understand it. And I pray, God, that you would help us to find joy in every area of life. Let us pursue it relentlessly that we would find joy in all the areas and all the parts of our lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.